already, everyone. Welcome back. Last day of the month today, August 31st, and it has been a tumultuous month. Good for some, not as good for the others, but it's kept me on my toes for sure. It's been really nice. Moved into a new place, navigating my first downturn still, really enjoying it, and starting to work more from home. Actually, as I record this, I am in my bedroom as my roommate is attending school from the living room. Strange new world to live in, and I think it's going to keep us on our toes, but it's not something that's, I would say, particularly negative, just a big transition. And part of that new work-from-home setup is this microphone, so if you feel that I'm too breathy, or if things aren't balanced right, or if I just sound different and you don't like it, please let us know. You can leave any reviews or contact me directly if you'd like, if you've got something you'd really like to nitpick at podcast at redpetro.com. That's podcast, one word, at redpetro.com. But enough about my life. Sure, things are different, things are changing. But how is it changing in the world of oil and gas? Well, WTI price. I'm getting to this a little bit later today, trying to hash out the bits of this microphone and dealing with some other content as well from Rare Petro that we will be releasing soon. But the WTI price, $42.68. No big transitions. It's pushing upward ever so slightly, but Nothing significant that would have caused the prices to spike or initially drop, so we'll count that a blessing right now. Rig count is at 254, which is no change from the last week, which this is a big development. Typically, we lose anywhere 1, 2 to 5 per week, and that's been going on for the past few months. Has it finally slowed to a stop? Have we hit rock bottom in terms of the drilling and production? Probably not, but it is a good sign to not be losing, I think. But I think we are still down 650 on the year. All data from Baker Hughes, of course. And then lastly, domestic storage. Looks like good week for the United States. We are down 4.7 million barrels on the week. Now, part of this is tied to historical trends and usage by, well, historical data. But this is a good sign. Looks like we're finally working through some of that stuff we'd stored up throughout all of those past few months. But on to the news. You know how I was talking about working from home? Well, how I'm doing it right now? We're not totally finished with that topic. Sure, I have the privilege to do it now and hopefully in the future, but more and more corporations seem to be acknowledging a future of remote access and video conferences. Ever heard of BP? Yeah, I'm talking British Petroleum. They recently announced that they plan to evacuate the London offices. They plan to rent the building back to the new owner for two years before they leave for good. While they do plan to transition to a work-from-home environment, they are not fully eliminating the office space idea. It seems most corporations are trying to do a mix of office and work-from-home scenarios. However, current numbers look a little grim for those renting out those office spaces. In London, only 13% of people were back to their offices last month. Broadening that scope to the largest 63 areas in England only bumps that number to 17%, a 4% increase. It looks a little low, I suppose, but put yourself in the shoes of people paying for these rented spaces. Say you're the CEO or president of a company. You're now saving tons of money on rent or maintenance, especially if you're a BP in a London tower, which that money can be redirected to other areas. Want to get some face time with the employees? Rent out a part of a convention center or a hotel room or one of the dozens of now vacated office spaces that are mere memories of the other companies that once rented them out before making the jump themselves. This is the beginning of an entirely new work structure. I wonder how it will change in other ways. Perhaps the 40-hour work week is going to become a thing of the past. 
Perhaps a task list given week by week will be the new norm, where as long as you accomplish what's expected, what you're paid for, you'll be set. You're a little bit more free to utilize your time in other ways. I personally don't have kids, but imagine when things get back to school. Of course, this is all thinly veiled speculation that I'm trying to disguise as food for thought, but again, something to consider. But not everyone is like me and has the luxury of being able to work remotely. After all, virtual oil doesn't do us any good, and until we can make use of AI and full remote access, people will still remain on site and on rigs. That is, if 2020 isn't making their current life a living hell. Consider the Gulf of Mexico. Hurricanes as of late, and even earlier this year, have made production a disaster because, well, there isn't much production at all. Best estimates show that the Gulf is now short 1.29 million barrels of oil per day of what it could be producing, or 70% of production in that region. To put this into a little bit of perspective, that is just over 1% of world consumption at its peak. I'm talking before the Rona. Now, that's no small number, especially considering that this is only one region of production worldwide. Most of these production shortfalls are a result of the hurricanes in the area. I'd also like to highlight that the 70% is from numbers reported on the 30th, or Sunday of, well, hopefully if you're listening to this week, the most recent Sunday. On the 25th, production was down just shy of 85%. Now, I am not complaining by any means. Imagine being someone on one of those platforms. I can't justify staying there. I just wanted to highlight how significant the Gulf is in terms of oil production and American offshore in general. I imagine the next biggest threat to offshore after these hurricanes will be uh, the upcoming election. But you know I will keep you updated with whatever information comes out, so be sure to subscribe in these tumultuous times to keep yourself educated, informed, and entertained. That is the goal here of our team, and we want to keep you in the know during this downturn. But it is time to move away from the Gulf of Mexico and simply to the land of Mexico. Let's set the scene. It's early 2018. Lopez Obrador has just assumed the presidential role and has been campaigning with the promise to increase the state support of Petróleos Mexicanos, or Pemex, as some of you have probably heard it referenced. Pemex was to be Obrador's poster child for strengthening domestic production to increase energy independence and, simultaneously, boost oil exports, which had been declining in the state of Mexico for years up until this point. Since way back when, in 2018, Obrador has continued to support oil exploration in the state and expressed support for a new refinery that will cost $8 billion to construct. La Refineria de Dos Bocas, or the Two-Mouth Refinery, if my Spanish is still up to par. Everything was fine and dandy until COVID swept the world, but you already knew about that. But now, for Pemex and Mexico in general, and maybe even Obrador, the new situation has changed ever so slightly. Pemex is heavily indebted and relies on bonds that it has issued to finance and refinance its maturities. COVID only truly amplified this financial issue. Many of the bondholders are institutional investors who are asking Pemex to reduce their emissions and help to fight climate change. So far, these requests have fallen on deaf ears. After all, the refinery is named Two Mouths and not Two Ears. All terrible jokes aside... This leads to a shaky future for Pemex. If they ignore investors' demands, they could make it more difficult to issue debt. 
If lenders join the fight of the investors in the name of climate change, well, Pemex Nobrador could be in for a world of hurt. And this is something we're not just seeing here. I mean, it's protests in the United States, of course, for climate change, but that, that's worldwide. People kind of react in the same way. As you see, the state is still working to produce stuff. And uh, maybe we're not so different from the rest of the world as the United States. After all, after that 6% number was released from the CDC, if you're unaware of what I'm talking about, I just suggest you Google 6% in the CDC and the death rate. There have been widespread po protests, anti-mask protests, and that's something we saw in the U.S. a few months ago, and now we're seeing it in Germany, Spain, all over the world. So we're all fighting the same issues. We're all in this together. So let's see if we can come up with some solutions for the environment, for our health, for the world. Man, doesn't that just sound dandy and magical? But I hold strong to that sentiment, and I also hold strong to the fact that I believe this is the end of the first episode from home. So thank you for joining me. Again, if it sounds weird, if I'm breathing too much, if there's anything I can fix, you go ahead and let me know. Leave us a review, post on our website, send me an email at podcast at rarepetro.com. We would love to hear from you. We've got some exciting new content coming out soon. I know Kevin alluded to it, but we've got an oil and gas tech expert, and we have a few episodes in the bag that I am now editing, and it's going to be a pretty darn interesting series. So make sure you're subscribed. Staying with us, staying up to date, informed, and entertained. And until next time, take care, everybody.